Did you know Bluff Country Feed and Seed in Mondovi is really growing to meet the needs of farmers? Matt has expanded his service area, and your animals can enjoy the expanded feed lines and bulk custom feed mixes right now. He also has seed for all your planting needs for next spring's planting. Visit Bluff Country Feed and Seed's website at bluffcountryfs.com to see what Matt and the crew can do for you. It's the Wax Midwest Farm Report podcast with Joe Welke, Kristen Smith, and me, Bob Bosold. Good morning. Time for the farm show here at the Shank of the Day on Wax 104.5. As Jill and Krista and myself, Bob Bosold, bring you the news and agriculture around the area, around Wisconsin, around the nation, and around the world as part of the Midwest Farm Report family. We've got markets, 13 first alert weather. We'll look at all kinds of calendar items and what's going on in the world of agriculture. Again, it's time for the farm show on Wax 104.5. February 21st, good calving weather. We don't say that all the time, that is for sure, but uh, it is. As we look at our weather, we'll tell you that uh, very un-February-like. Our wandering reporter is back. (laughs) Jill is back in the studio from being down in Madison and being at Wisconsin Dells. And uh, tell me, first of all, what the FFA Day at the Capitol was all about and how that went. Well, I think it went really well. There was over four, there was 42 chapters represented with over 200 students, uh, student members there, and they got to present their take on FFA to legislators. And a lot of the legislators were not in, but they did present to the staff. And I the the maturity of the presentations from these FFA members always amazes me. They can tell their story. They have a purpose, and they take the feedback from the staff members and really teach the staff members and the legislators what's going on and why it's important to support FFA. Ah, good for them. How many chapters from around our area? Um, every section was represented, good, and good, I'm really good. not sure. Okay. I'm so. not sure what the layout was, All but right. I do know that every section had at least one chapter down good, there. Good, that's a good thing. Ag Day at the Capitol for the FFA, and I wish more legislators. Of course, it was President's Day, and that was the holiday, and I'm sure that uh, many of them were back in the district. I wish more of them had been there. They could have gotten a little education because there aren't that many of them from rural areas, and uh, anything they can learn about agriculture is important for future legislation. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. Absolutely. And a lot of the, I, I talked to a lot of the members after they visited with the legislators, and they just said, well, one of them didn't have any idea what FFA or agriculture was yep, about, yep. but the other one did. But they were still able to teach them some more. So I'm just hoping that those staff members kept their ears open, and because these kids, they have a message, they have a story, and they are so well-versed in telling that story. Yeah, good good time, good program for FFA members to get down there, and just in that environment of the state capitol, that's uh, so important. And I, I would imagine there are probably some of them that have never been to Madison, or this, well, they've been to the FFA convention, but in the bowels of the capitol building like that, we have a, if you've never been to the capitol building in Madison, you're missing out. It's a beautiful building, and it's stately, and it just, you know, it just puts us really, and I've been in other state capitals, and uh, 
Wisconsin is so much to me like the national capital in Washington. It is a true capital building, and that's that's a good thing. And yesterday you were uh, at the Dells on your way home. You stopped at the Outland Mall, or what were you doing there? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Always the Outland Mall. You know how much I like to shop. Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, I was at the Chula Vista for the 2024 Forge Symposium, and listening to some speakers, I, I caught a speaker that talked a lot about um, farm transferring, mm-hmm. getting it to the next generation, and a lot of tips, and and you couldn't help but listen to her and get some ideas and really make you figure out and think about your own situation, and getting things down on paper was probably her biggest message, to get it down and, and make a plan, because it's also important to keep the keep the farm going and keep the generations going. I also visited with somebody with that um, is in the pre- precision egg of helping you with your alfalfa quality and when you should harvest it and factors in the weather and it factored is in the maturity of that alfalfa plant and and I I think that's fascinating because we talk about precision egg when it comes to driving tractors and combines but this is something new to me, and I hear it's been around a little bit, but he's a lot of research on it mm-hmm. with some advice on getting the best crop out there. And when just when you think you know it, something new comes into that part of the business. So it's an ongoing learning process, that's for sure. Big crowd down there, too, as well? Oh, yeah. There was over 400 registered good, in good, there. Good. You can still walk in today if you've got... If you'd like to learn some more about the forages, there was booths there but with uh, seed corn and um, equipment and just a whole bunch of, a lot of interaction, a lot of good things happening. And you'll learn the rules about manure application, precision agriculture, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, the manure uh, application stuff, that was on Monday. Oh, that was already on Monday. Yep, okay. that was on Monday, and they kind of took care of all of that. So I all got right. there after you can apply your manure. All right, but it still goes on today. It still goes on today. and, and Chula can, Vista. Chula Vista. You can register. If you go, you can register right at, there at the door. All right, and they'll start, what, 8, 9 o'clock this morning? About 9 o'clock they start. All right, and also I was uh, going through, and every day I get a uh, message from the University of Wisconsin River Falls, a daily update on what's going on on campus. And I didn't realize that over in River Falls this year, they are celebrating. How old do you think the University of Wisconsin River Falls is? Oh, is it about 75? 150 years. Wow. You're halfway right. (laughs) University of Wisconsin River Falls on the banks of the Kinnickinick River in St. Croix County, founded in 1874. 4,700 students. So congratulations. And we'll be over... Our Saturday morning program pretty soon will be with the UW-River Falls College of uh, Agriculture, Food, and Environmental Sciences with the new dean. Yep, that'll be on March 9th. All right, so we've got to get a hold of those folks. We'll go over there and find out about the history, the uh, opening now and putting into operation the new cheese plant, the uh, Wheatrick Creamery, uh, you know, Grassland Dairy, the Wheatrick family donated uh, so much money, a nice chunk. To help get that started, we had the dedication this past summer, and uh, now they're getting all the bugs out of it, starting to make cheese and starting to teach, and that's what it's all about. But congratulations, UW-River Falls this year, 150 years young. For those who work in acres... 
not in ours. How are they trading so far this week? Let's look at some of our numbers and Jill, the cash livestock on a Wednesday morning. Choice fed beef steers are 170 to 185 with mixed steers 150 to 169. Choice fed beef heifers are 170 to 182 with mixed heifers coming in at 134 to 169. Finished dairy cross steers and heifers are 150 to 181. And choice fed Holstein steers are 148 to 155 with select and silage fed steers 114 to 147. Cows are 80 to 104 with a top of 123. Bulls are 117 to 129. Butcher hogs are 50 to 75. Sows are 34 to 54. And boars are 12 to 19. Shorn market lambs are 140 to 188 as well as the unshorn market lambs, the same prices. Feeder lambs are 150 to 315. Ewes are 50 to 150. Small goats are 10 to $170. Medium goats are 125 to $230. Large goats are 190 to $260. With nanny goats at 75 to $195. At the Mercantile Exchange, we had live cattle mixed as the February contract closed 37 cents lower, 184.40. April down 22 at 187.32. June up 12 at 182.95. And August live cattle 181.95 at the close. That was up 37. Feeder cattle and hogs were higher yesterday. March feeder cattle up 35 at 251.37. April up $1.80 at 255.35. May up 250 at 258.12. August up 260 at 269.57. September up 222 at 270.67. Lean hog carcass contracts. April closed at 85.67. That was up 45. May at $89 even. That was up 15 cents. June 98.17 up 42. And July hogs 99.02. That was up 40. On the Board of Trade, corn and beans were a little higher, slightly higher yesterday. Some export demand. But good rains in South America tampered any real increases. So uh, overnight, March corn remained unchanged at 418 a bushel. Oats fell seven cents overnight to 373. March wheat down a penny at 581. March soybeans down six cents overnight to 1172. And meal down 270 a ton at 344.90. Barrel cheese unchanged 160 and three quarters. Blocks up four and a quarter at 152 and a quarter. Butter up two and a half. 277 and a half. February class three at 1618. That was up a penny. March up 15 cents at 1699. April up six at 1715. May up 11 at 1758. June up four at 1807. But then July through November, prices were lower. Today we're going to talk about feed quality with Steve Heckel, who's a livestock production specialist with Allied Cooperative and works very closely with the Feed Quality Assurance Program. And uh, Steve, overall, what? how does it blend together, the Feed Quality Assurance Program, with what we do on the farm as testing feed? Because you test it at the mill, you test it on the farm. How does it all blend together? The biggest part of what we try to do, what we're doing is making sure that the uh, uh, feeds that we're putting out onto farms are performing um, according to the, to the desired wishes of the farmers that are buying our feeds and um, giving, giving the performance from the animals that they're feeding that they want. That's the first and foremost part of our 
our, our goal is to make sure that our customers are satisfied and the animals are well taken care of. And uh, it's a process that uh, at the mill you're testing feeds. What are you testing at the meat at the mills for the feed quality assurance program? Um, basically, all inbound ingredients. Every time a load of like uh, soybean meal or canola meal or whatever we might be bringing into the mill for making feed, every time a load is brought in, uh, a retained sample is kept. From those retained samples, a, a subset of those are are sent to uh, Dairyland Labs for um, nutritional verification. We do that just to make sure that uh, our soybean meal is 46.5% protein or our meat and bone meal is at least 50% protein. From that information, we've assembled our own um, allied co-op feed library so the nutritionists and the feed salespeople that are in the country can use those nutrient values to formulate diets, mostly in our case for dairy, dairy, but we do beef and poultry and hog diets as well. How much variation might you find, say, in, in soybean meal? I would imagine it's probably pretty consistent, but you still have to check it all. There's a couple points of difference. I think the product we're buying today is tagged at a minimum of 46.5% crude protein. Uh, it's on an as-fed basis, and it probably varies from, you know, close to 45 to over 47. All said and done, the average is 46.5. There's variation from load to load or sample to sample, but... Uh, you know, till till everything is uh, compiled and you get done doing your due diligence, it's it's right about where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you also do feed testing on the farm too, don't you? Yeah. Um, so my on farm role as a livestock production specialist, we pull uh, haylage samples, corn silage samples, high moisture corn samples, whatever uh, a producer might have on the farm that he wants us to include in a diet. Uh, we sample those and uh, get the nutritional results from that as well. Steve Heckel is with us, Livestock Production Specialist with Allied Cooperative and Feed Quality Assurance Program. Steve's headquartered mainly over in the central Wisconsin area. But Steve, with the merger, we're making things better for Allied patrons. Tell us about the Hickston Mill and uh, how that's being brought up to speed. Hickston Mill um, is uh, going to be up and running here in uh, in a few weeks. That's just you know, the continuation of the co-op's desire to replace old facilities and kind of get more modern, modernize our ability to uh, to service the customers of 2024. Uh, the quality assurance program that we've in, had in place at Seymour, Auburndale, Stratford, and West Salem uh, will be in place there as well. And uh, this is going to be online within the next, what, month or two? Yeah, it's kind of a moving target just with a lot of things, but yeah, um, they're telling us a few weeks, so uh, whatever that means. Whatever that means, we'll follow the boss's orders. <laughs> yep. Steve, thanks for the update on the Feed Quality Assurance Program. Well, thank you, Bob. All right, Steve Heck, a livestock production specialist with Allied Cooperative, and again, the Hickston Mill will soon be part of that Feed Quality Assurance Program with the rest of the... Allied Cooperative Partners uh, program. Steve Heckel with us on our Allied Cooperative program. Farm news to take a look at this morning. Uh, crop insurance, food prices, farm income, National FFA Week. Lots to look at. The leaders of both ag committees in Congress, Debbie Stabenow, Senator from Michigan, is going to be leading the uh, House or the Senate Ag Committee. Glenn Thompson, of course, of Pennsylvania, leads the House 
Agriculture Committee. Both say they want to look at a farm bill by spring, have it written so they can discuss it, vote on it, uh, debate it, uh, amend it, whatever the case may be. But crop insurance, Jill, is going to be very important. It absolutely is, and it's one area of any new farm bill that will be protected by both sides of the aisle. But it's going to cost more. A new report from the Congressional Budget Office shows the program will cost an additional $27.7 billion over the next decade. The total cost of the program for the federal government will be $125 billion through 2033, the costliest piece of any farm safety net program. For 2023 production, the government paid out $15.6 billion in indemnities for crop losses during the year with more payouts expected. Over 539 million acres of U.S. farmland were enrolled in crop insurance programs this last year. And U.S. food prices went up almost 6% last year. That includes food aid at home and also food eaten away from home. The breakdown shows at-home food prices went up 5%, while food eaten away from home cost over 7% more in 2023. In 2024, food price inflation is expected to continue, but at a slower pace. Prices for food eaten at home should go down about a half a percent, but food eaten out will cost about 5% more this next year. Yeah, when you're going to eat out, you you pay. I mean, that's right. Keep their restaurants. Uh, don't don't stop eating out. We need our restaurants, but uh, eating at home isn't bad either. So, again, good things going on. Well, National FFA Week, we'll talk about that as we go along. Also, farm income. But coming up, community-supported agriculture. We'll get an update on that coming up. Just because vegetables aren't growing outside right now doesn't mean that the community-supported agriculture farmers are just sitting around. I'm Charity Seebecker from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. And Tess Romanski, Communications and Development Manager for the Fair Share CSA Coalition, provides some insight into what those farmers are doing right now during the winter and what customers should know for this year's season. Fair Share CSA Coalition supports about 40 endorsed farms, and then we have an additional um, number of affiliated farms. So Fair Share supports about 80 small-scale diversified vegetable farms across the Midwest, um, with a majority of them being in Wisconsin. And with those CSA farmers, what change-ups maybe are those producers making right now? Two major things, two major adjustments we've seen in CSA since the pandemic specifically, and then in the last few years has been um, an increase of customizable shares and home delivery. So online sales portals during the pandemic really took off and became more efficient for both consumers and farmers to use. Um, so this helps a lot with customizing where customers can swap or pick from a curated list that goes into their box each week, just right online. Um, so the technological advances during the pandemic really made that model easier for farmers to offer. We've also seen a lot of our farmers offer home delivery options as well, especially with safety considerations during the pandemic and um, ease of access for folks who maybe can't go out to a, to a drop site. Um, and then market shares are also something where we've seen a lot of growth um, where members can pay upfront at the beginning of the season, just like a traditional CSA share. Um, but instead of receiving a box, they can shop for their produce at a designated pickup spot on the farm or at the farm's market booth. Um, that's also been gaining popularity. It combines the flexibility of a customizable share where uh, people can kind of pick what food they want from their farmer 
while also reducing the, some of the burden on the farmer to put a box together every week, um, there's a lot less logistics that go into a market share. So those are a few things that we've seen um, a lot more flexibility on the customer end and a lot more ease from the farmer's perspective. A lot of those decisions are made with that customer in mind. Obviously, the consumer preferences have changed and those make a difference. Is buying local still strong among consumers within the CSA program or how have their preferences changed? Yeah, so we've seen local food purchasing in general is still a really strong trend. Um, the pandemic caused unprecedented change in where, how, and what food consumers were purchasing and where it came from and how they're getting it. Um, the University of Kentucky has actually done some really interesting research on consumer preferences. They're currently in the process of running another consumer study with even more updated information. Um, but what we've seen regionally in our farmer network is we saw a really large increase in CSA purchasing during 2020, 2021. And now we're seeing a little bit um, closer to numbers to where we were pre-pandemic, but other local markets like farmers markets and food co-ops are still really strong as well. So definitely a little ebb and flow over the pandemic just in terms of CSA, but local purchasing overall has stayed pretty steady. What are the high demand products that consumers are asking for, or even some that maybe are going faster than others that you've seen? Yeah, so we've seen um, a big increase in winter and storage shares. So that's kind of like late season uh, shares. You know, the traditional CSA, at least in the Midwest, kind of goes, it depends on the farm, obviously. But like there's a spring share, which kind of is April and May, and then the full season share usually goes September, October. There's a uh, an increase in winter or storage shares, which are kind of that late season, like October, November storage um crops like onions, potatoes, things that can last really well. Um, people seem to be really interested in local purchasing continuing beyond what's seen as the stand like standard growing season where the farmers markets are in full swing. So um, we've seen a lot more interest in kind of that late season uh, purchasing. And then add-ons have also been really popular. So farms who um, offer grain or meat add-ons where you can kind of purchase additional things in addition to your veggies, um, eggs, flowers, to kind of round out and offer more of a whole diet type share um, has been something that we've seen a lot of increase in. Um, It's also really attractive for consumers because it cuts down on the number of products they have to buy elsewhere. So CSA can become kind of more of a one-stop pickup rather than, you know, one of several places you have to go to get your groceries. And with that higher demand that we talked about of people wanting that local grown food, how have prices changed? So as with most things the last few years, the price of farming inputs, overall costs in general have risen. Um, Many small-scale diversified vegetable farmers um, aren't making a living wage when you look at their overall hours they work compared to their income, just in general, because farming is a lot of work. It's really hard. It's expensive to get everything you need. So um, we've seen CSA share prices rise in conjunction with other rising prices in order for farmers to continue to run successful and sustainable farm businesses. Um, the farmers that we work with, they raise their price because they need to be able to succeed in their business, not necessarily because they're selling out super fast and want to make a bunch of money on it. The the farmers that we work with are very cost conscious and thinking through what is a fair price for their labor and what is a fair price for the food they're growing and kind of the tension between wanting to feed people and needing to make a living wage. So prices have been rising, but for the most part, that is from what we've been hearing, it's due to the rising prices, not necessarily just because of consumer preferences in general. It's, it's, it's really focused on making sure that their businesses are sustainable. How can farmers become a CSA if they're interested? Yeah, there's a great video series on the CSA Innovation Network's website called CSA Starts Here. And um, it's five Midwestern farmers that kind of walk through potential 
CSA farmers through all the considerations they'll need to take into account and all those skills they'll need to start a CSA. So that's a really great resource. A few of the things to consider is having a really solid crop plan because CSA shares require diversification. Um, You need a lot of different fruits and veggies to put in your box for your consumers to be happy. Um, Setting up good marketing because it's a direct-to-consumer channel and prioritizing customer service are crucial aspects of succeeding with the CSA model. So um, those are a few things to think about. Um, And then checking out that resource, which is on the CSA Innovation Network's website, um, other resources from farm support organizations like Fair Share are all really great places to start. And what is really the benefit for farmers to become part of that CSA program? One of the biggest benefits of being a CSA farmer is the upfront payment at the beginning of the season. Um, when the majority of expenses are coming in, seeds, soil inputs, tool maintenance, all that's happening months before they're selling their product. So having customers opt in early creates a really strong reciprocal relationship with their members. Um, there's also a really strong personal connection. So people are buying in, they're invested in your farm, they're invested in the food you're growing. And then people also just love knowing their farmers, knowing where and how their food is grown. CSA really helps facilitate that connection. And again, that's Tess Romansky talking about uh, community-supported agriculture, enrollment in those programs, and, you know, go pick up your vegetables every week in the growing season. Tess Romansky, I wonder if she's related to our agriculture secretary, Randy Romansky. I don't know, she talks a lot like him. Does she? Uh-huh. Well, maybe sister, wife, I don't <laughs> know, but whatever. Tess is doing good work with the CSAs. Right now, we're going to check out the markets over at Premier Livestock in the Withy area. Rocky Olson joins us. Good morning, Rocky. Ready for another 50-degree day with some sunshine? Oh, yeah. No, that's uh, quite the temperatures here, and yeah, we're going to line up for the dairy today, so good yeah, day to come to Premier. Absolutely. We're setting all kinds of records. That is for sure, temperature-wise. We're setting records for cap prices, too, so give us an update on the markets. Uh, thank you, Bob. Good morning, everyone. This is our yesterday, Tuesday special feeder cattle auction and bred beef cow auction shaped up. We sold 575 head of feeder cattle. Market continues very strong. Uh, most of the beef calves sold from 210 to $3 a pound. Those lightweights up to 320 Most of the Holstein steers from 145 to 250 And those bred beef cows traded mostly from 15 to 2250 Had some very nice uh, consignments of beef cows at the upper end of them, bringing like I said, lots of them, 19 to 22 and a half. Next week, Tuesday, that'll be our special monthly dairy heifer auction. Uh, Expecting a nice run of dairy heifers. Uh, Market is just excellent. If you got heifers to sell, it's the best heifers. It's the best sale we offer for heifers. Uh, Comes around once a month, and we will sell feeder cattle after those dairy heifers. Today, Wednesday, it's going to be a big, big dairy cattle auction. I mean, we got lots going on for the sale today. Uh, Dairy cattle starts at 11. Uh, Hay and bedding auction starts at 9.30, but we're expecting over 350 head of dairy cattle. We have over 250 parlor freestall cows with a 100-cow freestall parlor herd, many elite consignments of top and reputation fresh cows. Uh, We also have a jersey herd. Uh, We have a load of registered fresh two-year-olds. Uh, they're about as good as they get. They're parlor freestyle. Also have a nice group of springing uh, Jersey heifers, uh, plus many other groups of springing heifers. Uh, a couple, One of them groups coming out of one of the better herds in the state of Minnesota. Uh, also, if you're looking for some breeding bulls, we've got a real nice group here from a local farm here, guys. There's going to be some lineback, uh, going to be Swiss, and there's going to be a Holstein. They're all proven breeders. Full detailed list at premierlivestockandauctions.com. Uh, also, don't forget 
30th this Friday is going to be our horse auction, and this Saturday we're going to have a real estate uh, auction uh, just uh, north of Thorpe. We're going to sell a 28-acre hobby farm, super nice place. Uh, more information on that on our website as well. Uh, check that all out at premierlivestockandauctions.com, our Facebook page. Questions, call us, 715-229-2500. And then machinery auction, guys, coming up March 15th. Uh, we know we're always busy, uh, but if you're looking to get some equipment, and we better get it in pretty quick. Uh, we haven't said we're shutting anything down, uh, but uh, we are really filling up fast. So uh, we'll give you to the 28th for the advertising deadline, and you'd certainly need to have it in by then. And if we get closer to that date, just make sure that we can still fit you in. So that is the way things are shaping up, Bob. That horse sale, is that one of those suspender sales, driving and draft horses mostly? Oh, or? yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll be coming in from Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana. They come from all over, don't they? Oh, it'd be probably 10, 10 states, you know, yep. that people yeah. will be coming from, and yeah. horses as well. So. Yeah, that'll be how, how many horses you got consigned about? You got, you got a full barn, I suppose? I, I think somewhere, I'm not the horse expert, I think no. somewhere between 100, 150 and 200, though. Wow, what time's that going to start? Uh, I believe they get uh, started with TAC at 8.30. Oh, boy. Big day. Big day on so. Friday. All right, hey, yeah. we'll talk to you later. Have a great day. There he goes. That's Rocky. Uh, suspenders and beards over there at Premier Livestock. That'll be on Friday, as he said. Tack at 8.30. Horses about 10 o'clock. Feeding information to the folks who feed you. Let's get into the newsroom and check in with Morgan McCarthy this morning. Morning, Morgan. Hey, good morning, guys. Are you a walker? I know you do a lot of exercising and keep yourself in good shape, but you do a lot outside of chasing the hound around, but uh, do you go out for a walk on the highways and the roadways out there? Every day that I can, yeah. Do you really? Yep, absolutely. I get out on the back roads and enjoy it. It doesn't really matter the weather. I'll be out there. Now, do you, wear a, do you wear a headset and listen to music and are oblivious to the oncoming traffic, and so you're a road hazard or no. you pay attention? No, I pay attention. I keep the uh, the out of my ears and on the road. And I can tell you because I have a similar pattern and usually go at the same time every day. Yep. I usually catch the uh, the guys going to evening chores around us on the farm. So we'll, that's we'll get one of those finger waves should, off the you wheel. You should uh, hitchhike and then jump in with them and help them do the evening chores. <laughs> yeah, right. I do enough of them here. My back hurts the way it is. Yeah, you're carrying me. What's uh, going on? Well, I'm going to need a bigger shovel, I can tell you that. Good morning. We're going to start with headlines that take us out of the election booth, of course on that primary day in Wisconsin. We now turn our attention to some of those results. You can find a full list on those local races and referendums. Partners at WEAU 13 News have that link set up and we'll link it right for you at 715newsroom.com. A thanks to our local clerks working those primary polls yesterday as well. In other headlines, we're going to go to the courts and update there and we can tell you the Chippewa County suitcase murder suspect heads to trial. No one's saying when that might be, though a judge yesterday said there's enough evidence to take Jose Dominguez Garcia to trial for the murder of his girlfriend in 2020. You likely remember this. Her body found in a suitcase in October on an abandoned farm along County Highway T in Wheaton. 25-year-old Rosalie Rodriguez had originally gone missing in July of 2020. Now it's Dominguez Garcia headed to trial, though the court date is yet to, been, to be set and that next hearing date still a question mark as well. 
Well, we can tell you that there's a state connection to a local and ongoing shift to, of course, it's the long game with the health care scene here, but funding now up for discussion. And we have an update with Wisconsin lawmakers greenlighting $15 million for emergency rooms here in the Valley. The state Senate yesterday did approve an emergency funding package. The money was earmarked for HSHS Hospital, but of course being redirected now that HSHS is exiting, closing doors and leaving this spring. Familiar name to our area, Altoona Senator Jesse James says the money is a short-term bridge for folks in the Chippewa Valley. So the next step is the state assembly voting on that plan. In Chippewa, it could be case closed. The investigation into the county sheriff there, Sheriff Travis Hakes, is over. And the county says that uh, last night they issued a vote of no confidence, though the sheriff has his own thoughts. And you can read those online straight from the mouth at 715newsroom.com. We cross T's and dot I's. Lawmakers at the Capitol now set to vote on a cursive requirement. The state assembly has included a plan on its agenda with supporters saying kids need to know how to read and write cursive in order to better understand U.S. history and do something as simple as sign their names. If approved and signed, probably in cursive, by Governor Evers. Kids in the state would have to be able to both read and write cursive by the end of fifth grade. And on that note, we move up a little bit in the education system. And it was pen to paper with a signature on a plan to keep Wisconsin's best and brightest here. We had talked before about uh, the top 5% of students in Wisconsin getting an usher into UW-Madison. That was signed by Governor Evers yesterday, and it also extends to the rest of the UW system with those students who fall in the top 10% admitted at any other UW. Campus. And of course, the valid Victorians of the barn, they're back. And we ushered Jill back into the studio today as well with Bob Bolso leading the way. Your Midwest Farm Report is right here. Thank you, ma'am. Anytime, bud. Enjoy your walk. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. I can't walk away fast enough sometimes from the <laughs> house, get myself a little break. She speaks honestly. <laughs> Morgan McCarthy in the newsroom this morning. Big week for Blue Jackets, Jill, and you are among them. Yeah, but it's National FFA week. It does run through Saturday the 24th. The week has always been observed in February, coinciding with George Washington's birthday, February 22nd. Washington is considered Wisconsin's first farmer and agriculturalist. And all over America, too. And all over America. And FFA Week began as a celebration of National FFA Day back in the 1930s and was always observed at the National FFA Convention. After about 10 years, FFA delegates voted to continue the observance but make it a week-long celebration here in February. And tomorrow is Give FFA Day. And you can go to wisconsinaged.org and you can give to uh, a purpose within the FFA. And that's part of their major fundraising opportunity. All right. So again, FFA, great, great youth organization. They were in Madison this week. And Jill was there too. It's a bright, sunny Monday morning. The FFA members down here in Madison for FFA Day on the Hill. A lot of chances for FFA members to make a connection with legislators or their staff or and their staff. And I love to hear what FFA members are telling them and telling them about their story and maybe even get a few of the reactions. And I've got Alice Tesca. She's part of the Auburndale FFA. You got to meet with some staff members. What was your pitch? 
So I feel like the biggest thing to talk about was just trying to get that agriculture education push, um, especially with some of us with it being harder and harder to teach and a lot of schools having to combine science with ag ed, um, just making it mostly about that and how to advocate for not only the farmers, but also the people who are teaching um, about agriculture. And in Auburndale, what does that look like? Yeah, so we have Mr. Knoyer, um, our helpful egg teacher and advisor for FFA. Uh, he's a crazy guy, but we love him. And so he teaches multiple classes a day um, that range from middle school up to high school. And they range from our meat lab to the greenhouse to up at the school forest, um, getting maple, uh, getting sap for the making our maple syrup to just vet science, horticulture, all of that. We have so many different classes and so many different experiences that everyone can get. And was the staff kind of surprised at the variety of classes that are taught? Um, yeah, so we met with two different staffers, and one knew nothing really about agriculture. So it was very much more of like a learning experience, not only for um, him, but also for us just to kind of learn how to teach egg and how to be an advocate, where the other one was an FFA, and so he knew about how we work and how we run and how beneficial we are to not only Wisconsin, but to the whole U.S., but do you think you provided some more information even for the staffer with FFA experience? Yes, um, and especially with our chapter and what we all we do and how we benefit everyone. And we've been talking about FFA at the chapter level. I'd like to know personally, why did you start in FFA? Yeah, so I started back in sixth grade and uh, it just looked cool. Everyone was joining and it was like, oh, Mr. Knorr stood up on a table at the lunchroom and was like, come join FFA. So I did. And then uh, I got voluntold to be on the middle school quiz bowl team, which opened my horizons and I became a middle school representative, which has now turned into being president of our officer team, which now I want to run for um, state FFA office. So a lot of uh, leadership growth throughout the years then. And through that leadership growth, we're talking state office. What about beyond that? Embracing the moment, not thinking that far ahead. Well, so I am attending UW-River Falls next year for um, egg education. So I want to be part of the crazy. I want to lead the crazy. I want to make more people crazy about agriculture and just be that crazy egg teacher that leads you everywhere, takes you everywhere, takes you everywhere, like just shows you the world. And again, that's what you get at Auburndale. Uh... Alice Tesca, and uh, so excited, so fun to listen to her. She said, "Hey, I'd visit with you every week, so yeah. maybe I got her number. We'll she, be talking to will. her all the time." Yep. Running for state office, she'll be a good spokesperson for agriculture if she gets it over there in Section Seven. But again, yeah, Mark Knoyer over there at Auburndale has a tremendous, tremendous agricultural program, and boy tell you one thing, if you uh, slow down, you're going to get run over by the FFA at Auburndale because they're involved in an awful lot of stuff. A lot of education over there. It's time to get to our markets. Let's go to Equity Altoona and hear from Jim Lindsay. Choice beef steers and heifers $1.50 to $1.73. Choice dairy cross steers and heifers $1.45 to $1.70. High yielding choice and prime Holstein steers $1.56 to $1.67. Choice Holstein steers $1.45 to $1.55. Select underfinished heavyweight oversized steers and heifers $1.44 and down. Top 20% of the cull cows sold from $1.10 to $1.22 with a top of $1.24. 60% of the cows sold from $88 to $1.09. The bottom 20% of the cows sold from $87 and down. 
80% of their organic cows sold from $1.30 to $1.61. The bottom 20% of their organic cows sold from $1.29 and down. Cold bulls sold from $1 to $1.25. Thin, full horn, and lightweight bulls all discounted. 80% of the 95-pound and up Holstein bull calves sold from $400 to $610 per head. Light and poor quality calves sold from $400 per head and down. Quality beef calves sold from $500 to $800 per head. Our next special feeder sale will be Friday, March 8th, starting at noon. All feeder sales are live on Cattle USA. If you have any questions about how to register as a bidder on Cattle USA or to consign cattle to upcoming sale, feel free to give us a call at 715-835-3104. To check out our early consignments, go to the Equity Livestock Market Consignment page and click on the Altoona Market. This has been Jim Lindsay reporting from Equity Livestock in Altoona. Have a great day. Well, let's get over to Equity Stratford uh, before Jerry Fitzgerald gets out and starts seeding oats. Well, we're not going to be doing that quite just yet, but it's. Uh, I went. I did talk to a gentleman the other day, and he's uh, he's got his lawnmower already gassed up. I said, I think you're a little premature with that too. <laughs> yeah, I think he is. But uh, man, oh man, it's uh, it's a strange, strange year. That's for sure. I don't even know what kind of frost we got in the ground. I haven't talked to any grave diggers or seen any reports or what's out there. I haven't checked much, so I know it can't very be very little. deep. Very little. Yeah, I know, very little. Well, how are we doing so far? What is today? Wednesday. How the first two days gone over there at Stratford? Well, why don't we just tell the folks about it? Bob, thank you, and good morning, everyone. Sorry from yesterday, Tuesday, and uh, the first couple days this week here at Equity Stratford. We'll start out with the organic market, and we sell those every single Tuesday here in Stratford. Uh, High-yielding, good-quality certified organic cows on yesterday's auction. We're selling from 140 to 159. Low-yielding organic cows, 139 and below. On the uh, regular cows, regular conventional-type market cows this week so far, uh, high-yielding cows are selling from 105 to 120, up to a top of 123. Most of the cows this week so far are between 80 and 104, and these thinner cows below the $80 money. Bull trade so far this week, uh, better quality bulls are selling from 105 to 120, lighter weight bulls 103 and below. And uh, most of the fed cattle, we got those uh, on the deck for this morning, so we'll update those tomorrow morning. Uh, calf market, a summary this week so far, a very, very good market on calves, good quality hosting bull calves are selling from 300 to 600, up to 630 uh, so far this week. Heifer calves, mostly from 150 to 300, up to 350. And beef calves just out of this world, and they're up from 400 to 800, up to 870 on Monday's sale. And we are at Wednesday. Uh, we got on the way this morning with the market auction, as I mentioned. We'll sell market cows this morning. We'll go along with fed cattle, sheep, hog, and goats. Feeder cattle sale will be at 1230. Uh, part of that feeder sale today, we do have some Holstein breeding bulls. Uh, also do have a consignment of some Black Angus bulls. Uh, they're lighter weight calves. Go either way with those. So that's just part of the consignments today for the feeder sale at 12.30, and our auction tomorrow does start at 11. And uh, just before I run away here this morning, I do want to uh, just take off a salute to all of our wonderful, wonderful FFA uh, folks around this area and around the whole state because it's uh, uh, been a long time since I had the pleasure of being an FFA, but it's, uh, they do a lot of good stuff. And just listening to that interview here just a minute ago, it's, uh, I, uh, you know, you get a lot of negative stuff about uh, some of the next generation, but you listen to folks like Alice, and uh, our future's in good hands. Boy, you got that right. Does your blue jacket still fit knowing you, or you haven't grown much? I don't even know where it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you better find it and get a picture taken in it. Well, I don't think it would fit. But, uh, what high school? Uh, what high school did you go to? Uh, oh, you went to Mosinee. All right. Well, the proud alumni of Mosinee FFA. Hey, thanks, Jerry. We'll talk to you in the morning. 
Yeah, you guys enjoy the day, and it'll be shirt sleeve weather for you today, Bob. Boy, that is for sure for a lot of people. Jerry, over there at Stratford. And the Synergy Co-op bringing us the markets. The Board of Trade was slightly higher yesterday. A little export demand, but overnight, March corn unchanged. 418 a bushel. The oats down 7 and 373. March wheat down 1 at 581. March soybeans down 6, 1172. March meal down 270 a ton at 344.90 at Country Elevators today. Corn and Loyal is at 362 with soybeans at 1088. In Arcadia, corn's at 380 with soybeans at 1094. Chippewa Falls, corn's at 355 with soybeans at $11. And Connorsville, corn's at 355 with soybeans at 1096. On the DTN screen, the high price corn today, Golden Plump. That's a 384 a bushel. We've got. Uh, Baldwin at 357 on the corn, 1093 on the beans. Durand and Fall Creek, 352 and 1083. Mondovi's corn, 357. Beans, 1088. Elmwood, 362 and 1093. At Osseo, the corn's 367. Soybeans at 1093. Elk Mound, 362 for the corn, 1098 on the beans. At Sparta, 362 and 1084. And at Ellsworth, corn's 349, beans 1083. At the ethanol plants, Boyceville, corn is 373. Stanley and New Richmond, 374, just where it was yesterday. Barrel cheese unchanged yesterday, 160 and three quarters. The blocks up four and a quarter cents, 152 and a quarter. Butter up two and a half cents a pound at 277 and a half. February class three up one, 1618. March up 15, 1699. April up six, 1715. May up 11 at 1758. And June was up four at 1807. July through November, the prices went a little bit lower. Beautiful day, partly cloudy. We'll be in the 50s. And man, oh man, by next Monday, 57. Some folks probably going to see 60. You've been listening to the Midwest Farm Report. Available at WaxRadio.com in its entirety every day. Brought to you in part by Bluff Country Feed and Seed and Montovi. On-demand content at WaxRadio.com.